Welcome to the King's Chapel, Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Luke 21. I'm preaching. Find verse 37, and then we'll go to Luke 22. So you're partially correct, even though you're repeating what I said. Luke 21. We do have notes. Did you all get those already? All right, great, let's do it. New International Version, 1984 version. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple, but at night, he went out and stayed on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Verse 1 of chapter 22. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. And one of the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way, conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad, I bet, and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought for an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Father, move in power in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Nearly every year, our youth leadership team goes and does a hike. They do a camping trip. And this year, they went uh, south to the rainforest of Seward. And it is a temperate rainforest, one of the largest ones in the world. So when they prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't, it only drizzled occasionally. Mostly had good weather. It rained, well, it rained, but, but, it, but it could have really rained. They went down there. Now, in the past years, I've gone with them, uh, with my wife. I throw my camper on the back of my truck and drive out there with them and just get away with the Lord and uh, with youth, which is sort of an oxymoron right there. as some of you would give a wholehearted amen. And so we went, and uh, it was amazing. One of the things I enjoy, I, get, I enjoy getting to know those youth leaders who go on that trip and spend time with them, and we do a hike. And um, some hikes are harder than others. We went on a, a hike this year, and this was uh, significantly harder than any hike I've been on with them. I've done other hikes that were harder you know, in my lifetime, but it was, it was tough. It was a seven, eight-mile hike, and it had a real vertical, at an exit glacier. Anybody ever been there? Up towards the Harding Ice Fields. And so, you know, as we were going, Minister David, our youth pastor, said, well, we're going to practice perseverance. Y'all been learning about perseverance. We're going to go persevere. We're going to go to the top. Let's go. And as we came to that sign, I stepped in front of it. I said, let's go, everybody, because the sign said 8.2 miles and just knew somehow that would be discouraging for some. <laughs> so we, we went up there. Some insights on hiking in Alaska. It's good to have the right shoes. It's good to have the right clothing. It's good to have a gun. We had all of those. Uh, some of us had all of those. I was carrying the gun. We didn't allow for youth to carry weapons, but... They were with me and, and uh, Minister David and, and others. And so we hiked along. We gave opportunity about the midway point for people to, to head back down if they felt like they needed to do that. And so a few went back down. And the rest of the crew went all the way to the top. We passed a black bear on the way, a black bear cub, actually. So that would make you think a little bit. And, um, you know, it rained kind of on and off. We got all the way to the top, took selfies and pictures. It was great. On the way down, it was slippery and I found myself, even though I had good hiking shoes on, I found myself having to really concentrate. So I'm telling all the youth, hey, don't fall. No one's going to, we prayed, no one's going to fall. No one's going to get hurt on this camping trip. No one's going off the cliff. Amen. And, uh, and that, that happened. God blessed it. A couple people had sore feet and things like that, but we didn't have to exercise the use of the waivers. Amen. And so... I found myself continually saying, don't fall, don't fall, watch your, watch your feet, watch your step. And I, I remember seeing 
One young lady, as she stepped off of one rock onto another, she had these sneakers that just were super slippery. Some shoes are worse than others. And she rode her heels for, I mean, like, and didn't fall. I was like, yes, come on, Jesus, not down. Be careful. Today, I want to talk to you a very simple message, but profound in our understanding to help you so that you don't become a Judas, so that you don't fall. And we think about Judas, you think about him. I mean, most people don't know much about him. Be like, oh, Judas, yeah, he just betrayed the Lord. Yeah, you might find yourself in the midst of this message as we look at it. The background, right in the notes now. Come on, someone say, don't fall. In a book, uh, Farrar is the author, Finishing Strong. The odds are, the percentages are 10%, 10 out of 100 will finish. Let me say that again. What do you mean by finish? I'm talking stay with the Lord, walk with the Lord, and finish their race. 10 out of 100. So it's about 400 people here. You do the math. 40 I'm going to be a part of the 40. Is there anybody else? I'm going to finish. Of course, you know, hundreds of hands go up and like, me too. But statistically, it's not the case. I have seen over and over and over pastors fall, wipe out, destroy their marriages, destroy their churches. I was uh, on the phone with a friend uh, just recently and discovered a man who, uh, who I had met in many years ago, great, great preacher. I mean, when he preached... I just thought to myself, my gosh, I was like in the back of the line when, when God handed out preaching gifts. I mean, the guy peeled the paint off the walls, incredible revelation, God moved, hundreds saved, amazing. Okay, so he has lost his church, lost his marriage, and he's totally lost and, and busted up and broken. I, I don't want to do that. Do you want to do that? Would you like to be a Judas? The answer is no. No one plans on, but nobody plans on becoming a drug addict either. When you were a little girl, you didn't plan on oh, hope one day that you would be a, a, a prostitute. Unless you came from a really hurting family that needed healing and deliverance. No one plans to destroy their life. And I'm going to tell you that Judas did not plan on forfeiting everything and killing himself. That's not the plan that, that he had in his mind. Let's look at this text. Jesus, in the text here, he's, he's teaching I mean, he had done so many miracles by now, Luke 21, 22. He's done so many miracles, and he's teaching in the temple, and there's a large crowd. And because of the large crowd, the religious leaders couldn't kill him. They wanted to kill him. It was a plot. It's a conspiracy. They wanted to kill him because they were losing power. But he didn't stay in the temple at night. He went to a place called the Mount of Olivet, or Olivet Mount, or Gethsemane, and he went there at night. The plot, right in your notes, B, the plot, religious leaders are committed to killing him. That's kind of crazy. I mean, they thought they're going to do everybody a favor. Let's kill the author of life. Let's kill him. And they make a plan. And the reason they wanted to kill him is he was upsetting their little world. And I've known people that have their little worlds upset, and they get really angry too. He was upsetting and turning over their carts. They were losing power. And God's kingdom was being put on display. And they sought and looked for a way to kill the master. And that somebody that was to help them is who we know to be is Judas. Judas betrays Jesus for money. Now, we're going to look at this and look at what happened in the life of Judas. Why? So that we can learn about that, but not just so that we can learn. See, revelation, and I do believe there's some revelation here. Revelation, when placed in your heart, will cause a revolution. Can you say amen? One theory about Judas, you know, how, how is it that Judas did what he did? He was one of the 12. He's, he's one of the apostles. He's one of the disciples. How is it that he did what he did? Some believe that, some scholars say that Judas was forcing Jesus' hand. And here's the train of thought. The train of thought is Judas had seen Jesus feed the 4,000, feed the 5,000, raise the dead, He's seen all kinds of miracles, and he saw when Jesus passed through the midst of him when, he, when they wanted to kill him. How many of you know these verses, these sections of Scripture? So they figure, you know, they, they say, scholars say, well, 
He was probably trying to force the hand of Jesus so like enough already, he would kick Rome out because the cry of every Jew was, oh God, deliver us from the bondage of Rome. And then he thought, maybe if I pressured him, now we don't know this for sure, but it's possible. And so some scholars say that Judas did what he did so that when they tried to arrest him, he'd be like, wipe them all out and become the ruling Isaiah 53, taking his throne and the government he'd be upon his shoulders. Who, who is this Judas Iscariot? To understand the background of his life, you'll understand a process of how Judas fell. And in understanding that process, it's my intention to help you, to help me, so you don't fall, so that you finish. I don't want 10% of this church finishing strong. I would be weird. I want every single one of us to finish strong. So you study this, it is the express plan of God to put old corn cob underneath your foot. Old cleft foot. The ugly one, the devil, to put him underneath your feet. Judas Iscariot, there's some keys here in his name. Iscariot could be that he came from the town of Kerioth because Iscariot is a Hellenized or a Greek version of Kerioth. Kerioth is a town. Jesus of Nazareth. So it could be Judas of Kerioth, but the Greek version of that is Iscariot. So it could be that he came from the town of Kerioth. It could also be that he was one of the what's called the dagger men. Sicari. It could have been a, a zealot for Iscariot. Could be taken from the Latin meaning of Sicarius. Sicarius. There was these men, they were... Uh, they were terrorists. They were first century terrorists. And they wore cloaks, dagger men, and they would wear cloaks and they would carry daggers. And literally, when they would get in a crowd of people, they would get close to Roman soldiers and they'd shank them because they hated Rome. So it could be that that was his background too. Well, which is it? I have no idea and, and neither does anybody else. It's, you know, we're just taking educated guesses here. No one really knows for sure, but this we do know for sure. Jesus chose him. Come on, somebody say Jesus chose him. He was chosen by Jesus to be his disciples. He saw, look at your notes, D. He saw the miracles. He saw healing. He saw breakthrough. He not only saw it, he did it. He what? He did it. He did the stuff. He did the stuff. He, he laid hands on the sick. He saw them recover. Luke 9 talks about them sending out the 12. Luke 10 talks about them sending out two teams of 36. 36 people go out and go before his face, laying hands on the sick and declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. He's a part of that leadership team. He's not out in some office hiding out, eating hummus, waiting to rip off the money back. But, but we do say that he does rip off the money back. But he was chosen. He saw miracles, and it does remind me, and I want you to turn there, Matthew 7, just in case you get fat-headed about the fact that you've led people to Jesus, you've cast out devils, you've done miracles, and you've prophesied. Let this, ought to, this ought to bring some, just a, a bit of humility to each and every one of us and hopefully instill some of the fear of the Lord. Matthew 7 and verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to you on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Verse 23, terrifying verse. Then he will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. So their acts of righteousness and even bringing the kingdom was evil because they didn't know the Lord. I mean, that's intense. How could someone do all the stuff and still go to hell? How does that happen? Same way it might be happening to you. Bump your neighbor and say, he's not talking to me, but is he talking to you? Go ahead. 
<laughs> Could you be in church? It's about to get very uncomfortable. Put your seats in the upright position in your trays, long position. Fasten your seatbelts. Put away your sap chatting and listen up. Judas didn't plan on falling, but he did. How did that happen? He had sin in his life. He had what? Sin. He had sin in his life. How do you know he had sin? Well, he, he did. I'm going to prove it to you. Another word for sin is leaven, and that's a beautiful picture here in 1 Corinthians 5. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, two, Corinth, two letters first, and the, the second letter is called 2 Corinthians. All right, you guys are tracking. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast. He's talking about sin. So that you may be a new unleavened batch. See, some of you think you can serve Jesus and stay in your pornography. Oh, did I step in something? I'm just starting to step. Some of you think that you can just go to church and everything's good. And you might hear, get away from me. I never knew you. So he'll bring you to a church like this to have a crazy bald guy preach to you and get all up in your grill. Ushers, lock the doors. Because <laughs> people are like, the front doors are open. Let's go. Run. Judas had sinned. Turn to, turn to John 12. Judas was corrupted. And you might be. And listen, I'm, I'm poking fun. It's going to get a little intense, but it'll be really great at the end. I'm going to try to put as much sugar on top of it as I can. Drizzle a little honey over the top of that. But if you have something in your life that's causing you to be corrupted, who's to say that you won't end up like Judas? Because that's exactly what happened to him. He didn't plan on killing himself, I promise you. Nobody grows up as a little boy and just say, one day I'm going to abandon the Lord of life and send myself to hell. Who, who, who thinks that way? Not many, I can assure you of that. In John 12, and in fact, you'll see four things here, and I, and I call them entry points. Everybody say entry points. So the front doors here are exits, but they're also an entry if you were to come in that way. I'm going to show you four entry points in Judas' life. Then you're going to apply them to yours and see if you have any. All right? Why? Because we don't want to fall. Can you say amen? In John 12, it's this profound passage about this woman. Her name is Mary. And Mary has had, I think it's seven devils cast out of her. She bursts into the room, and she has this box of pure spikenard, which we don't really know what that is in this century, but spikenard is, was a perfume, very costly. In fact, we find from Luke 12 and verse 5, which I'll read in just a moment, that it was worth a year's wages. So here this woman comes who, being delivered, breaks the alabaster box, breaks this perfume box over the feet of Jesus and washes his, his feet with her hair. While she's doing that, it's such a profound act. In fact, Jesus said of her, everywhere the gospel is preached, her story will be told. It's a, it's a picture of extravagant worship. And, and that's not talked about much. But there are moments of alabaster box breaking but look what Judas says, indicating and showing us the first entry point. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. So if you make $2,000 a month, this was a $24,000 offering. A year's wages. So think about what you make for a year and think about dropping that before the feet of Jesus. That's what this woman does. In verse 6, it says he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself what was put in it 
Judas was the treasurer of the church. And uh, if you've been in church for any length of time, you will hear stories about treasurers failing. Has that ever happened here? It has not. Can it? It can't, simply because we have systems in place of accountability. There's no, two, there's no two related people that ever deal with any finances. There's two signatures on every check. There's all kinds. There's a plethora of, of systems to make sure that that never happens, and it never has in 40, 41 years of ministry. And we stick to those systems. We don't ever violate them. Yet, you will see over and over in churches, people failing. People ripping God off. And it's horrible. Don't allow an area of your life, in this case, it's greed. Don't allow an area of your life to control you. Whether it be greed, lust, anger, don't allow yourself to be controlled by your fallen human nature. Deal with it. And if you don't, you're not going to make it. And if you're here for the very first time and you're at King's for the very first time and you're like, man, I, I, I got all those issues. Well, welcome, welcome home. We're glad you're here. By the end of this thing, repent, give your life to Jesus and, and start learning to live right. Living right is the process of sanctification. Anybody can come to an altar, receive Jesus, then being sanctified is becoming more like him, growing in the knowledge of God, changing. You know, I, this is an amazing, God is amazing. You fall in love with him, it's easy to obey him. Well, it may be different for you. Maybe you have some other little sin or lust or drug bondage or resentment or something you've allowed in your life, but it'll be an entry point nonetheless. You have to close the door. Everybody say, shut the door. It's going to affect you. If you choose to do that evil, you're preparing yourself for destruction. I'm not feeling the love right now, so I'll be right back. Amen, Pastor. Wow, that's intense. Amen. Preach. All right, number two. Number two entry point. You'll see what Jesus says is uh, in verse 7. What does Jesus say to Judas? He rebukes her. He's, she's broken the alabaster box. She's washing his feet. She's, probably, she's weeping, washed her feet with her tears. And he comes up to her and he says to her, hey, why wasn't, why didn't we take an offering here? It's Judas from Brooklyn. <laughs> hey, and what does Jesus say? Leave her alone. Stop it. He corrects him. And it could be in the midst of that correction that Judas got offended. Throughout your life, there's going to be opportunities for you to be offended. I, I say it affectionately, but it's also true. If you haven't been offended here at King's, it's coming soon. Why? We don't want to offend you on purpose, but when you preach messages like this, you can offend people who have a pornography problem. You can offend somebody who has an anger problem. You, you know what? You have some things in your life. Maybe I might have some things in my life. Honestly, I, I don't know that I do, but as I'm preaching, if something's exposed, I'll be repenting. If you have something in your life that's going to cause you to fail, wouldn't you rather hear that now than at the judgment seat of Christ where he says, get away from me, I never knew you? Wouldn't you like to hear that? Or do you want to keep playing some stupid religious game and pretend that it's all good in the hood? It ain't all good. There are Judases. And 10% won't finish. Pardon me, 10% finish. 90% don't finish strong. So he's correcting. I hate correction, but I also love it. I love what it does for me. Those whom the Lord loves, he chastises. Some of you thought I was going to say the other thing, and I know you're disappointed right now, so I'm going to say it. Those whom the Lord loves, he beats the hell out of. And the reason he does that is if you have any hell on the inside of you, it would be good if you got it out. Come on, say amen. Say a better amen. So he's corrected. If you allow offense to get in your soul, it'll be like an open wound. I believe offense for Judas was an entry point. The, the first one is what? Greed. But it could be any number, plug in any sin in your life that could be an entry point. Greed, lust, anger. Just go look at Galatians 5. Works of the flesh. Right? Sin. 
The, the, the second thing is offense. The third thing you'll notice is that I believe he was disappointed in Jesus. Why? How can you say that? I believe that he was looking for Jesus to fulfill his plan in his heart that he could actually even get scriptural reference for. I believe that Judas Iscariot, the zealot, was looking for a political Messiah, was looking for Jesus to come and fulfill the second part of Isaiah 53. And that is certainly a common thread throughout all of Judaism in that day and hour. They long for the Messiah to come. They still pray for the Messiah to come. And he is going to come. And this next time that he comes, the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will rule and reign. But it is for what they call the first advent. There's two comings of Christ. The first one is when he comes and he's a suffering servant of Isaiah 53. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each and every one has turned to his own way. But God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah 53. 700 years. 700 years before Jesus ever came. Pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquity, and the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. But I don't think Judas saw that, and certainly we could prove that as well as the other disciples, and and the religious leaders didn't see it either. But later they did, many of them. I believe that Judas was disappointed that I didn't come through for him like he had hoped, like he had seen in the prophetic word of Isaiah, if I could say it that way. And I will tell you in my life, I have been through things where I did not understand, and in my lack of understanding and my distorted view of God, I got angry, I got upset, and I turned from the Lord. I shared a little bit about the story, so I'll go ahead and share it now. I was an evil man, and I won't go into all of that, but evil would be a good description of who I was. I'm just so thankful that God saved me, healed me, saved me. I got saved, and I never got over it. Filled me, touched me, helped me, renewed my mind, saved me from more difficulty and pain, but it was a, it was a, rough, it was a rough row for a while. And in that, prior to my salvation, I lost marriage. Two daughters that are now in their 30s. When I first got saved, all I wanted, before I met Pastor Karen, all I wanted, only one thing I wanted. Let me tell you what it was. I wanted my wife back, except I wanted it healed. And I wanted my kids. And I had people prophesy over me. I had promises in Scripture. I had all kinds of things. So I saved my money. It's like in the first six months of being born again. I saved my money, and I I left where I was, and I went to my old hometown. And in my mind, I knew what was going to happen. I could tell you, I had people, a few people, warning me. Don't do that. That's a mistake. Like, yeah, you don't know. I had this prophetic word that God's going to bring restoration. And in my mind, I'm going to the house. I'm going to go to my old house. I'm going to knock on the door. The door will open, and it'll be like, and everybody will just bow down, and angels will be there, and we'll worship, and be like, he's home. Daddy's home, and he's totally different. Look at at the glory shooting out of his face. And they're like, how must we be saved? And they'll all get saved. And then we'll go and we'll get remarried and the whole family be healed. And then we'll go on to save the whole world. So that's the picture I have. Does it sound grandiose? Is it possible? Yes. I fasted. I did a 21-day fast. I did everything. I gave. I did everything I could. Gave away a car. Was giving. Was fasting. Was praying. I went to that house. Knocked on that door. When the door opened, I didn't see angels. I didn't hear any angels. I saw one of the most terrified faces I have ever seen in my life. Ah! And the door shuts in my face. I thought, it was tongues. I'm like, uh, that's not what I expected. It really hurt. Like, I, that, that, that's not what I saw in my picture. The door opened back up. I don't know for sure, but she had something behind her. I'm pretty sure it was my old 38. 
door shut. You heard that right, Jerome. Come on, man. The door shut. I'm pleading outside. No, everything's different. Woo, please show up. And when the police are starting to take me by the arm, I'm realizing this is not the picture I had. <laughs> and they, I'm like, I try to convince them. I said, no, no, really, I need to be here. God called me here. And they're like, right, you have a, your, your son. And they start, and they start, the grip goes a little bit tighter on my arm. Some of you know totally what I'm talking about. And then I realized, oh, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to go to jail. Hey, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going. They said, you're going to go? I said, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. And I walked off. I remember getting halfway, three quarters of the way down that driveway, so angry. I thought, I thought you loved me, God. I thought you, you gave me a promise. God, I thought you were going to get my children back. I thought you were going to do this. God, you didn't do anything. Do you even love me? I'm going to tell you at that moment, I now know that a demonic onslaught began to come upon me. And as I stood there, I thought, ah, and the police are still there. I'm three quarters of the way down the driveway, and I turn towards the house. The cops are looking at me. I look up in heaven, and I flipped God off. You don't ever want to do that. That's bad. And I said, I hate you. I'll never serve you. Ah! And went and got in a car and drove away. For eight months of some of the most intense insanity and difficulty and pain, and after those eight months, because of people praying for me, I came out. I had in my mind an idea of how God was supposed to do the thing that he said he was going to do. Some of you are so offended at God, you're disappointed because, oh, oh, that guy, he didn't get his. Come on, tell you something. Everybody's going to get theirs on judgment day. Right. We said they got away with it. No, just temporarily. Don't you be offended. Don't you have a distorted view of God. Last time I checked, the Bible says that I am the clay and he's the potter. When is the last time clay ever talked back to the potter? I, I, was a, I learned pottery when I was a kid. My mother got us a kick wheel all those years ago. And there were some certain things you had to do with pottery. You had to take that lump of clay and you had to place it dead center in the middle of that wheel. And it was a kick wheel and you would kick it, not these electric ones. You would kick it and you'd get it going with momentum. And then you'd put your hand hands on it and if it was off it would just do this thing some of you are like that on the wheel you're like oh god that's not how you're supposed to do it you know you need to zip it and i i want to tell you i had prophetic i had prophetic word you know the prophetic word i have it's still good i didn't i thought it was going to be fulfilled then it wasn't then it's coming i said my prophetic word is coming You'll see it in this house. You will see the restoration. My kids, one day, they'll build, I don't know if it's 20 years from now, but I know it's going to happen. I know it. I'm just trusting and leaning on, relying on him, not on my plan, on his plan. Trust in, lean on, rely on the Lord. And he will direct your paths. He'll make them straight. Don't lean on your own understanding. Judas, I think, was ticked off that Jesus wasn't a political messiah. Oh, he will be the second time. But the first time he wasn't. And some of you have a distorted view of God. So Jesus didn't do it the way that you thought he should do it. Who the heck are you? I'm going to go encourage myself again. Amen, Pastor, preach! Heck is not a curse word, okay? Neither is hell. Hell is a real place. You don't want to go there. We better move on because I can feel Pastor Karen looking at me. There's times when we, in our walk with the Lord, where he does things that are even contrary to what we see in Scripture, maybe. Maybe you didn't understand it. Jesus is a political Messiah the second time, but not the first time. They had misunderstanding. There's times when the Lord does stuff, and you're like, don't you even love me? Don't you love me, God? I look back on, on my life, and I'm, I just thank God for the wisdom that he had. I thank God for how he spared me from certain things. And well, I don't know, maybe you fell in love with that girl in college or high school. You begged and you pleaded, you fasted and you prayed, oh God, I want to make her mine. I want to marry her. I want to marry her. I want to marry him. He's so fine. Then you go to the reunion 
you go to your 20-year reunion, and you're looking at name tags. You're like, I wonder where he is. You know? And then all of a sudden, you see him or her, and you'd be like, oh, thank, thank you, Jesus. Oh, 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 oh. You start singing that song. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. Because he don't answer, don't mean he don't care. Sometimes I thank God. Come on, you ought to thank God right now. Go ahead. Come on, give God the praise. Come on, ah, come on. You say, God, does God answer prayer? Yes, there's three answers to prayer. Yes, no, wait. Those are the three answers. And you don't like waiting, and I don't like waiting either. And we oftentimes don't like no. We just want yes, yes, and now. I won't ask you how many have had that experience of being deeply disappointed. There's times when God will do things that we don't foresee times of great disappointment that come. And if you allow for the enemy to keep you in a place of disappointment because, of your, because you get disillusioned at God and you begin to make an opinion about the God of your own understanding, you begin to make an opinion about how God's supposed to do something, just remember, you're the clay. He's the shepherd. You, <laughs> the fourth thing I see, well, there's greed. I think he gets offended at the rebuke. He had sin in his life. I think he gets offended at the rebuke. I think he's disappointed. And it ends up in this religious duplicity in your notes. What is that? Hypocrisy. Seeing the sacred as nothing. That's common in church today. I, I, uh, had the privilege of preaching on Friday at a, uh, a camp for a Russian church. It was a ush, um, youth and young adult college age. There's quite a few people there. I preached to power God fell. It was just, uh, it, was, it was beautiful. I mean, it was really great. People baptized in the Holy Ghost, people weeping, people crying, people getting healed. I mean, it was like full blast. I'm still, in fact, I'm still kind of riding that wave. You want to know why I'm so crazy, man? God just wrecked the thing Friday night, and then I got to pray all day Saturday and prepare and preach today. Can't wait. God, God is awesome. Come on. And so they said, well, do you have to go? Pastor said, no, I don't have to go. I'm going to hang out. They're like, awesome. And they served these Russian meat snacks or whatever they were. I don't know. It was these awesome things I've never had before, but it was low carb. And so I ate a lot of them. And uh, as I'm sitting there, Eating those, I'm at a table, I'm at this big table, and nobody's sitting down, you know? And I'm thinking, I'm sort of thinking to myself, they're probably just freaked out by the end. It's all right. And so I just sat there and ate my meat snacks, and finally, somebody comes up and says, um, can I sit? I said, come on. And then the table fills up with all of these people. And they said, can we ask you questions? They literally asked me 50 questions. I mean, anything, everything under the sun, they asked me. And it was about three-quarters of the way through, and I'm done with my meat snacks, and I'm totally full. And uh, I take my plate, and I put it on top of my Bible, my finished plate, and I put it on top of my Bible. And I watched this girl who was from Zimbabwe, young lady. Her eyes get big, and she, she just looks at me, and I realize, oh, uh, my Bible, yeah? I think I just defended her. And so she says, and she moved the plate off the Bible, and I thought, oh, God bless you. And I've known people that are super religious. I'm, she wasn't one of them, I don't think, at all. But I've known people like, oh, the Bible. Oh, it's sacred. Of course, you don't obey anything in it, and you never read it. But it's sacred. <laughs> Smile at your neighbor and say, well, I'm enjoying church today, mostly. See, so many people are, have dumbed themselves down or dull to the things of God. When there's an altar call, which there's about to be an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus, not the time to go to the toilet. Plus, there's a giant line out there, and you're never going to get in anyway. But even if there was, it's not time to go to the line. It's not time to get a coffee. It's not, don't get up when there's time for, for people to give their lives to Jesus. It's an, it's an evidence that you're, you're, you're dull. 
You're dull to what's happening. And I've seen this. I've been in places where somebody's about to get saved. I'm coming back here. It'll be okay as long as I don't rip my pants. Amen. And so here they are, and the preacher's preaching. And I can tell people lean forward. And they start leaning in, and, and they're about to, you can tell something's about to happen. And then brother or sister next to them right at the altar calls like, no, nah, I got to go to the bathroom. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so, sorry. Excuse me. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm sorry. Are you, are, you, are you going to evangelize afterwards? I'm going to go. Are you going to go? Let's go. Let's go. And the person they're sitting next to is completely distracted, and they're hungry too. And of course, the God, their God is their koilea or their belly, so they can't wait to go to evangelism either. And they don't give their heart to Jesus, and I see it almost every week. So are you rebuking me? Yes, don't be offended and become a Judas. Come on, somebody say amen. I got one person excited about that. My leader, Scott, God bless you. All right, here's what I need to close. Worship team, would you come, please? This duplicity, not seeing the, seeing the sacred is nothing for all of you that are taking notes. Scott, would you help me out and find uh, in the Gospels where the Last Supper and uh, where Judas, it's him who sups with me and when he eats, it says Satan entered him. Can you find that for me? Thank you. I'm going to say Matthew, but it's in a couple different places, but there's, I think there's just one that says, and Satan entered it. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. This will be our, one of our last scriptures. You getting anything? I know it's intense. Why? Because I want you to be part of the 10% that finishes strong. It's gets pretty intense right now. Yeah, I know, because you, you will become a Judas if you don't deal with these things. You, Judas didn't plan on hanging himself. He didn't plan on being the guy that fulfilled that Old Testament prophecy. Somebody said, well, it was an Old Testament prophecy, so it must have been fate. We don't believe in fate. I said we don't believe in fate. John 13, 2, may I? I know it is. King James. Stay in 1 Corinthians 11. you. Hey, I'm not going to be a Judas. I'm going to finish my race. Okay. 26. So go to 20. Uh, did I tell you to go there? You can go there if you want to. John 13, but we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11. I'm almost done. Evangelos can wait, or your tuna fish sandwich, or whatever. Can wait a second. So I got to go to the bathroom. Better go now before the altar call, because there's no telling what our security will do if you get up during that time. John 13. So this is the, the Last Supper. They're receiving communion, right? You tracking with me? Not if you're tracking. They're receiving communion. They're what? Receiving communion. And, and Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is the, the cup of the new covenant of my blood. All right, verse 26 of John 13, King James Version. Jesus answered it, answered. John asked him, who's the one that's going to betray you? Jesus answered, it is him whom I shall give sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, that's taking the bread and, and dipping it, it's, it's a picture of the communion. He gave some to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, all turn there, you need to see this. It's not taught because it's very offensive and it could potentially shrink the church. I've found actually it causes the church to grow and I've found that being uh, straightforward and to the point, not pulling punches. I don't pull punches with you. I'm going to be as sweet and kind as I can. And when I'm not, Pastor Karen rebukes me and I try to put some sugar up on that thing. But I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you because I don't want you to become a Judas. I want you to finish. I want to finish. 
I'm examining my life for the past 24 hours, looking at this thing and just praying, going, God, do I, do I have anything in my mind? Is there anything in my heart? Do I have any sin? These are great questions to ask. 1 Corinthians 11 says a man ought to examine himself. Can you put it up on the screen? Thank you. But a man, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. Next verse. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, leave it up, not discerning the Lord's body. So when you see John 13 and you see Judas having all that in his heart, he's offended, he's, he doesn't have, he, he's discouraged, he's got sin, he's been ripping off the money bag, he's been stealing from the Lord's, I mean, you got to have some unmitigated gall to steal from the Lord's treasury. You got, I'm just saying. He's got all these things happening. And when he takes that communion, it says that Satan entered him because he didn't examine himself. Listen, what we're doing is a life and death game. You, play, you try to play church here, I'll make you hate it. That is, I'm anointed to do it. I will, I'm anointed to make you hate religion, tradition, and false Christianity. I personally can't stand it. Religion and tradition are the two twin sisters from hell. I am called by God to fire you up and to get you to live this awesome life in God. Not religion, not tradition, not just going to church and not becoming a Judas many years from now or maybe even next week. But you need to examine your life. Judas didn't. Satan entered him. Apostle Paul and was conscious of the fact that religious hypocrisy or duplicity will release destruction. If you think when you take communion it's a little cute thing, you are wrong. Some of you continue to visit that website, continue to do the things you know are wrong, and you just take communion like it's a little snack and move on. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, next verse, for this reason many are weak. He's talking to believers. And he's telling the believers, some of you are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, which is death. He's talking about death because for death for the believer, it's falling asleep. Are you telling me that I could be weak and I could be sick because I'm holding on to these things and continuing to live this duplicity of hypocrisy? Yes. Of course, nobody here probably, just online. Lift your hands to heaven. Want to finish my race? Want to run my course? I don't want to fall. Nope. I don't want to fall. Nope. Need your help, oh God. As I examine my life, search me and know me. You know my rising up, you know my setting down. Forgive me for where there's been a duplicity, a hypocrisy. Forgive us, God. Come on, you begin to talk to God. Service is almost over. A couple minutes, we're done. Come on, you begin to talk to Him. Stop playing church. Get right with God right now. I've never been in this service like this. You need to find a church like this and you need to go to it. And they are somewhat hard to find. That's why we're going to plant 1,200 of them in the next four years. We got 400 down, we got 800 to go. I'm going to say that, I feel led to say this. If you're online or you're in the congregation and you live somewhere where this kind of thing isn't happening, then you contact us and we will do our best as we pray and agree with you and we will plant a church right where you are. You can start one online and we can begin to breathe in that thing. God can raise up leaders. We can train people. I don't care where it is. It doesn't matter where it is. Anywhere in the world. Why? Because God wants you to finish strong. God wants you to be the head, not the tail. God wants you to prosper and be in health and grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God. He doesn't want you living some stupid messed up, hypocritical come on, he doesn't want you living some dead Christianity who the heck needs that, no one needs that, we need power, we need authority, we need to turn the battle at the gate and it will not happen through
through half-hearted creatures groveling for some crumbs. It won't happen if you're offended, if you have sin, and you hold on to it. It won't happen. Last scripture, 1 Corinthians 10. Turn there. Man, feels good in here. That's the smell of conviction. If you want to know what that is, so what's that feeling? What is that? You know, I'm going to tell you what this is. a measure. It's a measure of what I call the fear of the Lord. Just a little bit. You'd be glad to be in a service like this so that you could examine yourself. So I could examine myself. Why? Because God has blessing for us, not, not cursing, blessing. And the final scripture is 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. Chapter 10, verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings. Judas is a warning. There's warnings for us in whom the culmination the ages has come. And if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he, when you are tempted, he will prove, provide a way out so you can do it. He'll make a way of escape, says another verse. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.